Hi, this is Terry Begg, author of Attract and Keep Customers for Life, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Terry Big. Terry started his painting business after completing high school without money experience, connections, or skills. After gaining initial market acceptance, he quickly learned that he was just another painter in an overcrowded until he did something different. The next stage of growth required a different approach, so he put everything aside, developing his painting skills, and began building his people skills. By learning what motivates people to buy commodity services and making it easy to do business, he found the fast track to growth, doubling his income in six months, and over the next year, doubled it again. His four-part approach allowed his company to grow year after year without advertising. Terry lives in Hartville, Ohio, and is here to talk about his book, Attract and Keep Customers for Life, Four Abilities to Build Trust, Communicate Your Value, and Charge What You're Worth. Welcome, Terry. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to get into this. I'm so glad to have you with me. Tell me, when you were growing up, Terry, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? That's a tough question because I talk about that in my book, that I didn't really have any key role models growing up. My parents, they inspired me just by looking at their work ethic. So I probably would say them, although they weren't verbally motivating for me, they made me do the things I had to do and get to work. But most of what I learned is probably how to have a strong work ethic. And that was through my parents, my dad, that poor guy. There were eight kids were from a large Catholic family. My wife and her mom were there too. So there were 10 of us in three bedrooms, one bathroom house. And I still remember dad. I don't know how he afforded. My mom didn't work. She stayed home and took care the kids and everything, but he would get up early and drive school bus. And when he got done with that, he would go to work at Goodyear. He put in a full shift there and he worked there his entire life. In the summertime, when he wasn't doing those two things, he put in a huge garden to feed us, a big garden. There were so many vegetables. When he was done, we would sell them out. I remember strawberries and corn and and things like that. He was always doing something, always busy. And I try to be that way now. I think that was a big motivator for me, although he never really talked about it with me. It was just what I learned just from watching. People speak through their actions and their words. So you were observing how he went about living his life and a lot of those lessons soaked in. You started your painting business right out of high school without any experience in that business. How did you choose painting? That was a little crazy doing it the way I did, but I chose painting for one simple reason. I knew I wanted to own a business. I just couldn't work for people even at that age. I knew painting was the easiest thing to do, cost the least amount of money to get started of anything I was looking at because I wanted to be in the service industry and I got started with hardly any money at all. The only advertising I could afford to do was just a line or two in the local newspaper. This was back before the internet, of course. Um, Talk about where you got your first job. Your first job? Yes. It wasn't through a relative or anything. My older brother was painting through college and I helped him a couple times in the summer. So I had a basic idea and my first job came from just a small ad I put in a local newspaper where it was real affordable. I mean, seven or eight bucks to get it in there for three days. I'll never forget coming to that first job, coming up, knocking on the door and the gentleman comes to the door and he looks at me. I'm 18. I look like I'm 13. I said, hey, I'm Terry Begg with Begg Painting. I'm here to give you the estimate. He looked down over his glasses and just said, you're the painter. I said, yeah, I'm here for the bid. He said, son, if I hired you, who's going to do the work? You or your dad. I'll never forget that. I didn't get that job. (laughs) Yet you gained confidence from the experience. 
I bet. I did. Over time, it took a few jobs. He's just the one that said really what was the elephant in the room that I looked so young. How could I know what I was doing? That was a huge obstacle for me to overcome. A lot of people run into obstacles like that and don't persist. You must have kept at it because you did get a client. What did you learn from that experience and what changes did you make in order to land your first client? I started to believe in myself more because I, I was realizing that people could see that I was nervous and I was scared and afraid to make eye contact. Those send red flags. Knowing what I know now, I don't know how anyone even hired me. One of the big things was a strong belief in myself, knowing I could do the job. Another thing that just popped into my head that I was just talking about on a podcast last week is I didn't tell people to trust me. At first, I said that. And of course, everybody knows that's a reason to, for concern. If someone says, trust me, if they tell you that, I traded in, trust me. Instead, I said, if you just give me a chance, I won't let you down. That was big because they kind of rooting for the underdog. I said, yes, I know I have an old truck. I used equipment, but I'm very affordable because I don't have a lot of overhead. Head, and if you just give me a chance, I'll bust my butt for you. I'll get the job done. I won't work on any other jobs. Just between us, I didn't have any to work on anyways. By the time it was over, I had proved myself to them and I was just going over and over. And that's been over 5,000 jobs ago. I keep track and have done that for 44 years now. You figured out how to convince customers. Take me back to the day and maybe the hour in your painting business when you realized the way that things were going wasn't going to be sustainable. It wasn't going to be a course that you could continue on. And and you decided you had to make a change. You had to shift your focus from just the paint, delivering great painting to developing business skills. What was that like? And what was going on in your mind during that? A lot of people can say when their life changed, like what you're saying, they'll know the year, some even the month or the season. I can tell you the very minute everything changed for me. It was when I came home from work at that time. My wife and I had been married for eight years and I'd been working in new construction, which I hated because the general contractors are hiring the cheapest people they can get so they can make the most and keep their costs down. Down and smelling like kerosene fumes because there was no furnace in the house, just whooped. I come home and she's sitting on the couch with tears in her eyes. Never a good sign. I look at her and I said, what's wrong? She had just three little words for me that changed everything in my life. They were, Terry, I'm pregnant. What I mean by that is all of a sudden a switch just flipped in my brain. All of a sudden this crappy lifestyle that I had been living and bringing her into was no longer going to be good enough once we had a family. And I took action. That's when I began taking some risks, taking tons of action, hired some people, even I didn't have the work yet, knowing I was going to have to come. This was in the springtime that I was going to have to book a lot of business. And there was a couple things I did that were really action oriented. I was just pro customers. I really went out of my way to find them and do a few things. But that was when everything turned for me. So that's where you worked a lot of your existing contacts, but you also studied, you read books and you listened to tapes and you, you did everything you could to educate yourself. There was a lightning bolt moment that I remember reading in the book when you suddenly realized what other painters who have much larger businesses do that you weren't doing, that was their customer pipeline full. What was it like when you realized that and what actions did you take as a result? Oh my goodness. Once I got started, I was all of a sudden I had a crew of three guys. They were like my friends. I didn't know how to hire people. There was no hiring sites online. There still was no internet at this time. This is still like 1988. I remember hiring these guys and then I got into a mall show and a spring home and garden show and I joined some organizations and all of a sudden I was starting to get work. But what I discovered, I thought I, the very first week we started with my guys, we got out there. I thought I had a week's worth of work, and with the system that I had developed, which is spraying exteriors of homes, the end of the day, Monday, and we were almost out of work. We'd almost done a week's worth of work because all of a sudden with those guys, I was doing in a day what I used to do in a week. So I had half a day the next day I got out and I started calling people and moving everybody up on the schedule. 
The next thing, within a few weeks, we were painting four to five houses a week. Because of these other things that I did, I was lining them up. I had, at that time, maybe 15 or 20 houses booked ahead. And that was slowly fizzle out. But that was still in 1988. Here, in the last couple of years, I found I get as much as 45 or 50 houses booked ahead. So it's easy to keep that pipeline full now. But that is the key thing. Once you have so much work that you don't have to worry about charging what you want to make, not just what you got to make. The lowest, you're looking at the great jobs that pay the best customers. And that's what turned around for me. But that was the big change for me was realizing that I need to keep that. I need to have more work on schedule and people ready to go. Even today, I come home to two or three phone calls on my answering machine already for outside painting. People say they want to be the first on my list. I think I've told 14 people that so far this winter. They're going to be the first. They're the first on that. <laughs> yep, exactly. But I love how things are now. It's quick turnover. We know the right jobs to take to make it even quicker. That was still a learning curve back then. Even then with those new guys, it still took me another 10 years to really get proficient at everything. What are a couple of the principles that you follow today to manage your pipeline? How often do you look at it? What are the questions you ask yourself? What's a one minute synopsis of how you manage your pipeline today? I look at my schedule every morning. I get up early. I used to get up at six, but then I realized if I get up at five, I got an extra hour. So I do that even in the wintertime. Look at my schedule, prioritize what matters, look at the jobs and the people and our conversations, which I keep recorded. And I say, okay, I need to reach out to these people this week. And, and these people haven't given me a color yet. So a lot of that's done in that first hour every morning. And something that I talked about in my book, if you want things to change, you don't need to find time where you won't be interrupted. And at five in the morning, I find I can really focus on the week ahead and keep things rolling smoothly without any huge mistakes in scheduling. One thing I want to point out is that you've demonstrated how Parkinson's law affects businesses. Many small businesses will make the work expand to fill the time allotted. What happened was, is that painting an exterior of a house normally took a week. And you geared up for that and you set expectations for that. But then once you had more business and you were able to have more people helping you, you found that you could do it in a day and a half. And then you said, wow, I've got to fill the pipeline so that we can move on and do three to five houses a week rather than one. And simply making that decision, you found it was possible. You didn't think that was possible. But once you started believing that was possible, then you started managing your resources appropriately. That comes through with the seriousness with which you look at your pipeline each morning. So I applaud you for that. I think that's a great illustration. Your four-step method consists of four abilities, likability, believability, trustability, and wow ability. I appreciate that each of these as a foundation consists of an ability which can be learned and developed. Walk me through how you developed each of these and how you apply it in your business in a typical week. What are the kinds of questions you ask yourself and what are the kinds of actions you take in order to make sure that your business is running on these four pillars of this foundation? Okay, that's a great question. And yes, I'll touch on all four of those real quick. The reason I learned the four abilities is because I needed more work and I knew I needed to be able to turn prospects into customers quickly and I needed to create a system. I had a system for painting the houses, but at that time I didn't have a system for keeping these jobs, keeping that pipeline full. What I realized is before anyone's going to trust you, that was the key. That was the golden ticket, what I call in my book. The golden ticket is trustability, but nobody's going to trust you immediately. The first thing I felt I needed to do was become likable to my customers. In each one of these four areas in my book, I have probably eight to 12 different things to do to make yourself more likable, believable, trustworthy. And in likability, one of the things I do is if somebody calls me, I return the calls as quickly as I can. Always the same day. I can't tell you how many customers 
customers now tell me I'm the only painter to call them back. I don't understand why people don't do that. But I call people back right away. And that helps in my likability. I'm on time when I go to the job and I even take that one step further. I call and let them know I'm on my way. It's funny how that happened and how these things evolve. But it, I started doing that because I started getting so busy. I didn't have time to come knock on the owner's door, have them find their shoes, find their husband, put on a coat. And I, I was busy and I needed to expedite that more. So I thought, I'm going to call and let them know I'm going to be there in five minutes. So they're outside and ready for me to move things along. But what I discovered is people love that I called on the way there. And that wasn't why I did it in the first place, but that's why I do it now. It makes me much more likable. Many people comment that they love when Amazon tells them that their delivery is on the way and it's yeah. coming that morning. It's 10 stops away. So they may have picked that up from your practice. Yeah, maybe so. I'd love to think that. It's funny because so few people do that and customers love that I go out of my way. There's no excuse not for doing it now that everybody has a cell phone. It's so easy. When I started doing it, it was before cell phones. I'm old. I would actually either call from my house and say, I'm going to be there in a half hour. And the next one I'd say in about an hour and a half or I'd stop at a payphone. I felt it was that important. It really separated me out from the competition. It's easy to separate out when it comes to the people skills more so than the technical. What are you doing now in your painting business to differentiate yourself from the other painters so that you get more invitations to make those estimates. How are you setting yourself apart so that people think, wow, we've, we've got to make sure that we include your business and when we call? Sure. There are some of those things that will fall into these abilities as I go through them. One that I could think of right now was under the believability part is where I thought it's too big of a leap to go from like to trust. So I look at believability as the bridge that connects the two. And one thing that I did to make myself more believable, like what you're saying that would set me apart, is I wrote a real detailed proposal. Didn't call it a contract. To me, that's a negative word. I just call it a proposal. One thing I would do is be very detailed. It's where most painters would just write prep. And then on the next line, paint, I would explain what prep meant. That was pressure cleaning the house or masking off the windows and doors or covering the ground, scraping the loose paint, caulking around the windows, priming the bare wood with oil-based primer, real detailed. I mean, things that they'll probably never do anything with that information. I made them kind of privy to all that, to everything that we do. It increased our value when they saw, oh my gosh, you do a lot of things here. I don't know if the other guys are doing this or not that are just saying prep. And it's funny, I looked at another guy's bid once who is an excellent painter, does everything I do, but he explained everything he was going to do in just four lines. Wash the house, prep the wood, spray paint. I knew the guy, excellent painter, but she hired me because she even said, I know you're going to do these things. I don't know if this guy's going to do those things and paid a higher price to have me, but I know the guy and he does do those things, but he chose not to explain it. Many times have the ability to do things, but if you're not explicit with your prospects or your customers, they don't know all the work that goes in into it. It's important that people listening know that they want to convey that. People who want the detail will get the detail and people who don't need that detail will skim over it. But including it is a way to set yourself up. Definitely. That's an, an, an excellent thing to say because just doing more, giving them more than what they expect. Let me go on to this. You quote T. Harb Eckert, author of Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, who popularized the observation is that how you do anything is how you do everything. What does that mean to you in your business today? Yeah, I love that one. He did that. I kept hearing over and over on this seminar I was at. And that means integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is looking. But that also falls under how you do anything is how you do everything. This was something I had to learn from my first before I could train my guys because I wasn't doing. I would look at little things that I find shortcuts whenever I could. I was all about being efficient, but I was finding some of these shortcuts were cutting on the quality a little bit. So I stopped doing them. I started going back to I do treat every customer home like it was my own home. And it's every little thing that you 
you do. If you shortcut something in your day that nobody's ever going to notice, it still matters. I look at all those things, even though nobody's going to know on some of the things, whether I did them or not, I need to know that I did them because everything has to jive because customers can tell when something's not right. And I want everything to make sense, to have a logical progression. I do that with these four abilities, especially, but how you do anything is how you do everything is just a way of creating a quality that they know they can expect. We've been talking now for ways to convince customers and make it easy to do business. You also want to deliver a wow experience. What do you do to make a wow experience and what do you do to make it enjoyable for both you and your customer? Okay, a couple of things that I talk about under the category of wow ability is probably the biggest one I do is funny because everybody sort of does it. It's what I call risk reversal. What I mean by that is a great example. I just had a doctor email me last week and say, hey, we're ready to go. We want you to paint my house this year. Got to come out and look at the garage yet and add that onto it. But then he said, now that we're ready to go, where do I sign? Do I sign this and send it back? Because I had emailed the proposal to him as well as how much money do you need me to send? I said, no, you don't need to do either. You don't need to sign my proposal. Proposal. I sign it, but I just want you to know you don't need to. If you want to, you can. I don't require any money down and I won't turn a bill in until you tell me you're happy with the job. He was blown away by that, but that's what I mean by risk reversal is they take no risk by hiring me. Then when I'm talking to groups of service professionals, I say, we really all do that, you guys. If you're legit, which most are, is something's not right, we're, they're going to go back and fix it. They say that, yes, I'd go back, but then I ask them, do your customers know that you do that? And I think people keep that on the down low because they don't want to be nitpick, but it forces us to raise the bar a little bit because I tell my crew, I say, you guys, we're not getting paid until the owner is happy. And if I don't get paid, I can't pay you. So it forces everybody on my team to raise the bar a little bit too. So risk reversal is one. Another is doing more than I promise. As I mentioned, I write everything out real clearly, but I still do even a little bit more, whether that would be a little extra painting, maybe cleaning out their gutters while I'm up there. If they're elderly and it's bad, I do that. They don't even know who to call for that kind of thing. I tell you, it's those little things that they remember. Now, people don't always remember the job you did, but they always remember the way you made them feel. Good feelings, good, just general business sense. It, 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 it this way, just say it creates goodwill and that's part of our delivery. Exactly. Doing more, than, a little more than you say, even paint the mailbox post or something. There's always things I know they're going to want us to do. They didn't think to say to me when I was writing out the proposal and I already have it in my head. I'm going to do those things. And usually I could do it before they bring it up and then they're just blown away. A lot of times they say, do I owe you more for it? And that's a great time to ask for a referral. That's how you earn referrals instead of asking for them. Exactly. And, uh, another one is testimonials. I have tons of them, but we could talk more about that. Listen, Terry, are you ready for the Mike Quest or the best lightning round? I'll do, I know I talk fast, so I'll, I'll do my best to think through these a little bit first. So first question is real easy. When you were a teenager, Terry, what's a song that you loved? Oh my gosh. What's a song that I love? This is really going to date me. Bye bye, Miss American Pie. Remember how that goes? Yeah, I do. I don't have to sing it, do I? Fine. Miss um, But the levee was dry. And good old boys. Oh my gosh. I can't. This will be the day that I, the longest song ever, I think. One of the longest songs there ever was. I think it's like, oh, next to that and Hey Jude. The Beatles were even big for me back then. Yeah, I would say. a big Queen fan. I love the long songs. Queen. Oh my gosh. Bohemian Rhapsody. That's probably my favorite. I I would have to say that's my favorite group still to this day is is Queen. I have a lot of their albums. But even that dates me to say albums. That's right. So what's a tool or system that you rely on 
in order to stay on track and productive. Probably my appointment book. Again, it's something I look at every morning. I write everything down and I cross them out as I go through all the things I got to do that day. If something, I talk about this in my book, if something doesn't get crossed out, it gets put onto the next day right at the top. So it's got to be the first thing. If you find you're just not getting that thing done after three or four days, maybe it's not that important to you and maybe just delete it. So that helps me to have everything I need to do that day. That could be anything from going to the post office to pick up checks because I, I have them email, have them mailed to me to giving bids in the morning, giving a bid after work, breaking away at lunchtime, picking up supplies, who I have to talk to, the people I need to talk to before noon, the people I got to talk to in the afternoon. All this just little list of all those little things that make up having a business owner that where you don't get people calling you back saying, hey, what's going on? And keeping on top of things is having that cross off the list. None of us get to where we are with our level of success without having others' advice, systems, encouragement. And we could all probably cite the best advice we've received. Looking back over your career with your business, what would you say is the worst advice you ever received? The worst advice is probably I had an older brother who started his painting business, but he just did it through college. It's not my fault though, but the advice he gave me is just go into the business. You'll figure it out as you go. That was a huge mistake. I should have probably worked for a painter at first. I was just 18 and everything I learned was just what I learned working for him. By far the worst advice. And looking back at myself when I was 18 years old, people always asked me, you may be asking me this yet, what advice would you give yourself? Mine would have been, I should have asked for help in those early years. I didn't do that. It would have taken years off the learning curve. What would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? The best $100 or so purchase? Probably this microphone right here, because I, I'm doing a lot of podcasts now. I think this, it just popped in my head. I think I paid a hundred dollars for this, but it's, it, from what I understand, it's a pretty good one. I know podcast hosts, they always see me. I have that and they're, they're glad I have this one. Not everything's about painting so much. Now it's about educating people. And I needed this, a, a good mic to be able to get my point across more clearly. Maybe. What would you say is your personal definition of success. My definition of success is having choices right now. And I'm at the stage of my life. I've had it for 44 years and I'm to the point where I don't have to work if I don't want to. I, I go to work because I love the job. I work for the people I love to work with. So I think it all comes down to now I have choices. In those early years, I didn't have choices. Anybody starting a business probably understands that you got to stick to a plan, even if it's not what you don't. It isn't what you want to do. You still got to stay with your plan. You got to do all those things that that unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. Very true. Terry, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's led to your most most pleasure or personal satisfaction for you? I think it's probably been following a plan for getting these jobs and finding the right people to start. I started avoiding the jobs that I know are going to slow us down, houses that are peeling, there's labor intensive. And it was one of my guys that worked for me. He'd been with me forever. And he said one day, what's killing us is we gotta, we'll be right in the middle, moving along on these nice jobs, these aluminum seed, and all of a sudden we'll have this job you never should have took where we're going to spend a week just scraping or two or three decks that got to get now pressure clean and then wait for them to dry out and all kinds of other little things that throw us off our schedule. So him helping me with that, that really last year I had my biggest year ever, even though it was during the pandemic, but it was because I only took the best paying jobs and worked for the best customer. Yeah. When you tighten your criteria and you work with the ideal customers that you could best serve, you're going to mm -hmm. deliver that wow experience and it's going to be mm -hmm. better for everyone all around. Yeah. The crazy thing is the more I narrowed my niche, the more people wanted me. It was almost counterintuitive to what you normally would think. 
think when I started just selecting the certain jobs, then I got busier and busier. It's crazy. It's a good kind of crazy though. It is. So you teach others how to master these four abilities in your online program and through presentations. What would you say is the hardest aspect for people who have been through your program to learn? What do you want to tell them so that they get on the right track sooner? I, I think that's an easy one to answer. I, I believe it's doing all the little things. Because in this course, in my book, there's a lot of things that people know about. A lot of people tell me that. And if you look at my reviews, they say, boy, I need a reminded, reminded of all these things. They don't do the little things. There's a book by Jeff Olson, I believe, The Slight Edge. And then he says, these are all little things. It talks about all those little things you need to do. They're easy to do, but that's why we don't do them because they're also easy not to do. Everything in my book is tiny little reminders and things you need to do, but each one by itself, not so powerful. But when you pull them all together, they're very strong. Terry, you've shared so many little things that have added up to a big difference for people listening. I want to thank you so much for sharing how you came from a large family and your experience painting was working with your older brother who ran a college painting company in college. You learned by watching him. You talked about what changed for you and what a difference it made when you came home and your wife said, I am pregnant. Those three words will forever be a, a signal that changed how you approach your life and the way that you take on your responsibilities. You talked about how details increase your believability and that integrity is do what you do when no one's looking and how important it was for you to change your approach to integrity by not cutting the corners that impacted quality before you asked your team to do the same. You talked about the how risk reversal works to make customers trust you more so that they know that you're going to do a good job and it leads to more business and it just lets you sleep better at night as well. And this is what's important to be able to add those small pieces together, add up to a much greater sum and impact in being able to attract and keep customers for life. So Terry Bank, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. I had a great time being here, Bill. Thanks so much for having me here. Say, Terry, before we say goodbye for now, where can we go to find out more about you and your work? You can get my book right now. It can be downloaded for free. And that's at the four abilities.com. That's, that's the number four, isn't it? Correct. The number four abilities.com. There's a free download or uh, you could get my book for free. I think just shipping and handling. So we're going to link to the four abilities.com so that people listening to this can find it very easily and get the benefit of reading all of those tips that you share with the four abilities. Terry, we're also going to link to your main website, your social media and other places to buy the book just in case that's no longer available with the free shipping offer. We want people to go to the show notes and find ways to make it super easy to follow up with you for sharing your ideas about the book. So once again, Terry Big, author of how to author of attract and keep customers for life. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Had a great time. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you: please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.